Daniel chapter 12, beginning in verse 5. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others were standing, one on this bank of the river and the other on that bank of the river. And one said to the man dressed in linen who was above the waters of the river, How long will it be until the end of these wonders? And I heard the man dressed in linen who was above the waters of the river as he raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, and half a time. And as soon as they finish shattering the power of the holy people, all these events will be completed. As for me, I heard but could not understand. So I said, My Lord, what will be the outcome of these events? And he said, Go your way, Daniel, for these words are concealed and sealed up until the end time. Many will be purged, purified, and refined, but the wicked will act wickedly. And none of the wicked will understand, but those who have insight will understand. And from the time that the regular sacrifice is abolished, the abomination of desolation is set up, there will be 1,290 days. How blessed is he who keeps waiting and attains to the 1,335 days. But as for you, go your way to the end. Then you will enter into rest and rise again for your allotted portion at the end of the age. Well, good morning. My uh, primary text uh, that I want us to think about is the last verse of Daniel. Uh, in the uh, English Standard Version, but go your way till the end, and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. This is a verse that's been very helpful uh, to me, um, really since becoming reacquainted with it. Uh, uh, several weeks back as Ronnie uh, concluded his study of Daniel in uh, the Sunday School Hour. Uh, I trust it's a, a verse as you get perhaps reacquainted with it will help you as well, because I think it helps us um, with how to live with unanswered questions. How to live with unanswered questions. So I want to think with you about this verse, but really to, to, to think about it, we need to first think about the whole book itself. Uh, and the context of this last and final word to Daniel. So, a, a brief but maybe jet tour through uh, the book of Daniel. Uh, the book, you know, is uh, one of two types joined together. It is a historical book with incredible stories of 
faithfulness. But it's also a prophetic book with fantastic dreams and visions and interpretations. There is Nebuchadnezzar's dream of the image made of four metals, gold and silver and bronze and iron. It's destroyed by a stone that grows into a mountain and fills the entire earth. That's Daniel chapter 2. Daniel 7, uh, there is Daniel's vision of four beasts. They're terrifying and dreadful. They devour and destroy. But following that vision, uh, there is uh, the vision given to him of the Ancient of Days, seated on the throne of heaven. And the way uh, Daniel sees it in the vision, the throne is a fiery throne and flame shooting forth from it. And he sees one like a son of man rising on the clouds of heaven. And the son of man is presented to the ancient of days. And to the son of man is given uh, the dominion and the glory and the kingdom. In chapter 8, Daniel is given a vision of a ram and then a goat that comes and tramples down the ram. In chapter 9, Daniel is given a vision of 70 weeks and what will happen. In the midst of these dreams and visions, there are some main themes that come into focus for us. Uh, we see a theme of kingdoms and conflict and trials and suffering, uh, but also the theme of future certainties, uh, the future certainty of great reversals uh, for kingdoms, and the future certainties of great rewards for believers. The first theme, kingdoms and conflict, um, Beginning in Daniel's day, there will be a succession of four worldly kingdoms, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome. So if you have your Bibles, and I see that you do, why don't you open to uh, Daniel chapter 2, verses 36 to 40. Here's the vision, excuse me, the dream. Um, verse 36, this was the dream. Now we will tell the king its interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power and the might and the glory, and into whose hand he has given, wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field and the birds of heaven, making you rule over them. You are the head of gold. Another kingdom inferior to you shall arise, and yet a third kingdom of bronze, uh, which shall rule over the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because iron breaks into pieces and shatters all things. 
and like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these. But to counter uh, these worldly kingdoms, there is another kingdom. It is the kingdom of God. Uh, And we see uh, this in Daniel chapter 2, verses 44. And in those uh, days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. Of course, that's the way of kingdoms of men. They rise and they're held by a, a man or people for a time, and then they fall and the kingdoms are given to another people, but not so uh, with the kingdom of God. Uh, It shall arise, be set up, it will never be destroyed, and will not be left to another people. It is sacred and given unto Christ and to the saints. And so here we see the theme of kingdoms in conflict. A second, there is the theme of trials and suffering. The worldly kingdoms bring intensifying persecution on God's people, and you'll see this in Daniel chapter 7, verses 19 to 21. Daniel says, Then I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the rest. Uh, uh, Pause here. There's a correlation, of course, between the four kingdoms and the statue and the four metals and the four beasts. Uh, Daniel desires to understand the truth about the fourth beast, which is different from all the rest, exceedingly terrifying with its teeth of iron and claws and bronze, uh, which devoured and broke in pieces and stamped whatever was left with its feet. And about the ten horns that were on its head and the other horn that came up before which three of them fell, the horn that had eyes and a mouth that spoke great things that seemed greater than its companions. As I looked, note verse 21, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them. So there's the theme of trials and sufferings of God's people. And yet there is a third theme of future certainties. Uh, first, there is the certain future certainty of great reversals. The worldly kingdoms will go from supremacy to nothing, while the kingdom of God will go from insignificance to supremacy. The kingdom of God begins small, uh, a stone, And that stone will smash the kingdoms of men. And then it will become a mountain that fills the whole earth and stands forever. Earthly kings will be swept away and brought low. And the Son of Man will rise to be king and lord over all things. And his saints will rule with him. It's the great reversal. Well, here they are described by Daniel... Uh, primarily in Daniel 7, if you're still there. Daniel 7, verse 13. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. 
And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. And his dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Uh, verse 21 of chapter 7, As I looked, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them. But look at the next verse. Until the Ancient of Days came, and judgment was given for the saints of the Most High. And the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. Again, a great reversal. Verse 27, And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey Him. And if you will, flip back to Daniel chapter 2 again, verse 44 and following. And in those days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever, just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hands, and it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. A great God has made this known to the king, what shall be after this? And note, the dream is certain, and its interpretation is sure. Note the future certainty. These things will happen. Everything will come to pass, because God always finishes what he starts. Well, along with the future certainties of the great reversals, there are the future certainties of great rewards, uh, preeminently rest and resurrection. Daniel 12, verse 13, You shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. Well, before we really think uh, deeply about this uh, last verse, let's remember again that this book is a story of Daniel's life. And we need to think about that to appreciate the significance of this last verse, this last word uh, to Daniel and for its application to us today. As I said, the book of Daniel is historical, it's autobiographical. It involves a real man and his experiences in Babylon along with his free, free friends. Uh, you remember them, their names. What are their names? Oh, uh, yeah. Well, you remember their Babylonian names, <laughs> their given names, their Israelite names, Azariah. Hananiah and Mishael. But consider Daniel's life. As a young man, he's taken by Nebuchadnezzar from Israel to Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar um, really wanted to remake 
Daniel and his friends into Babylonian men. So you remember how uh, Daniel begins uh, the tale of his life. Remember, the king wanted Daniel and his friends to enjoy all the fine delicacies of the king's table, but they wouldn't. Because Nebuchadnezzar wasn't just trying to give them good food. He wanted them to embrace the king's court and all that was Babylonian. But they wouldn't. They remained faithful Israelites. And so their faith was tested. Daniel's uh, three friends were thrown into the fiery furnace. And Daniel was tested in the lion's den. And even there, in, in a small sort of microcosm, we see great reversals, right? Because um, the three friends were saved out of the fire. What happened to the men that threw them in? They were burned and destroyed. Daniel, men conspired against him. And he was thrown into the lion's den. But what happened to him? The mouths of the lions were shut. And then in a great reversal, the men who had sought to destroy him, they themselves, in a great reversal, were thrown into the lion's den and devoured. Well, Daniel stood before kings who came and went. He stood before King Nebuchadnezzar. And then after him, he stood before King Belshazzar. Until that night when the hand wrote on the wall and Daniel interpreted it because that night that king was slain and his kingdom overthrown. And the next day, Daniel stood before Darius the Mede, the new king. And finally, Daniel stood before Cyrus, king of Persia. So Daniel lived uh, to see the fall of Babylon and the rise of the Medo-Persian kingdom. Really, it was the fall of the first kingdom of the statue and the rise of the second statue, uh, kingdom. Well, think about how long Daniel was in Babylon. It was more than 70 years. He was among the first taken into captivity out of Israel. And he lived long enough to see the first wave of the Israelites return to the land according to the word of the Lord. He was likely a teenager when uh, he interpreted Nebuchadnezzar's dream about the statue and the kingdoms. And he was an old man when he was thrown into the lion's den uh, under Darius when he was king. So that brings us in a quick uh, overview to Daniel's final vision and to our main text this morning. Go your way till the end, and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. And here we, I think, have the merging of uh, the, the biographical uh, narrative of David and the fantastic visions because it involves both. 
And it's a continuation of the story of, of Daniel. And whenever we come to a story, to understand it, we, we need to think about um, the characters in, in the story and the setting, because it all gives context so that we can understand. We just don't flip open the Bible to Daniel 12, 13 and read a verse and think, well, you know, <laughs> what does this mean and how does it apply to me? It's, it's in the story. Stories are understood by context and plot and setting and characters. So, this final scene, it starts back in chapter uh, 10. So, I invite you to turn back to Daniel chapter 10. So beginning in verse 1, in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel who was named Belshazzar. And the word was true. And it was about a great conflict. And he understood the word and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. On the 24th day of the first month, I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is, the Tigris. I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen. I think that is a reference to the linen priestly garments worn by the priests of Israel. A man clothed in linen, with a belt of fine gold of Uphaz around his waist. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision. But a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. So I was left alone and saw this great vision, and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words, and as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. And behold, a hand touched me, and set me trembling on my knees, hands and knees. And he said to me, O oh, Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up, trembling. And then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. In verse uh, 14, we see that this angelic being came to Daniel to make him understand what is to happen to his people in the latter days. Well, the message and the vision from that point forward to Daniel chapter 12, verse 4, is about horrific wars and battles and 
kingdoms of the north rising its kingdoms of the south and uh, it's just a horrific chapter 11 there is the abomination that makes desolate and a king who exalts himself above every god and who speaks astonishing things against the god of gods the god of heaven and then uh, in this vision chapter 12 michael the great archangel uh, shall arise and there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been and yet see how the that verse ends in chapter 12 but at that time your people shall be delivered everyone whose name shall be written in the book and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting content. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. And so with that uh, perhaps long introduction, we get to the text this morning. Uh, there's a question, one, uh, Daniel sees two men, uh, in addition to the man in linen over the, uh, the river, and one asks, how long shall this be? And there's an answer given. And then Daniel asks the one question that's on his mind. Verse 8, O oh my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? That is a great question. And the answer will instruct us how to live the Christian life with the tensions between divine certainties and our own human uncertainties. How to live with unanswered questions. From God's divine perspective, the outcome of everything is known and certain to the smallest detail, but from our human, limited perspective, there is much we don't understand and much that seems uncertain. For Daniel, it was not for him to know the details. And like Daniel, much is not for us to know ahead of time. In the end, Daniel simply told to go your way. Twice he's told this, and by the mere repetition, it's emphasized. Verse 9, go your way. And in verse 13, go your way till the end. This directive, I think, uh, to Daniel echoes back to a similar command one given to the great patriarch of Israel, Abram, in the land of the Chaldees. You'll see this in uh, Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord had said to Abram, go. It's really the same word that is said to Daniel, go. Go from your country, from your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great. 
and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Well, from the human side, <laughs> what connects those two events? Go to Abram. Go to Daniel. They have to go without all the answers, don't they? They have to just set out and go in faith. To quote Sinclair Ferguson in his commentary on Daniel, he says, The assurance that God has a purpose and will fulfill it is all that we need to know in order to go and fully trust God. So what about you and me today? It seems the older I get, the more questions I have about the outcome of things. I see some of you nodding your head, some of you smiling. What will be the outcome of these things for my children? What will be the outcome of these things for my aging parents? Or the company we run? Or the ministries that I engage in? I don't know the outcome yet of these things. It's all future. So what do I do? I have to do what Daniel did. I just have to go. Go on in faith and, and obedience, assure that God has a good and divine purpose for everything and that he will fulfill it all according to his plans. You have questions too, don't you? Uncertainties. What do you have to do? The same thing. Like Daniel and Abraham and really all God's people, you have to go. But you go with the same great encouragement that was given to Daniel. You notice, too, again, a common thread between Daniel and Abraham. They were both told to go without all the answers, but with a great promise to Abram. I will make of you a great nation. And to Daniel, you will rest and you will stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. First, you will rest. What does that mean to rest? Well, in a, a very narrow sense, it means death. How was death rest for Daniel? Well, for him, there would be no more confrontation with worldly kings and worldly enemies. He had seen his country conquered, seen himself and his friends taken captive into Babylon, seen tests of faith, the fiery furnace, the lion's den, no more of that. It's rest. That's what death would bring. But rest here is more suggestive than just death. Because the word, as I'm sure you are racing ahead of me, rest has spiritual significance, doesn't it? It is rest from the sin and the sorrows that cling so closely to us in this life. In the Old Testament, death 
and being gathered to your fathers in the bosom of Abraham was rest, was spiritual rest. In the New Testament, it is the eternal Sabbath rest fulfilled in Christ for us. I like Matthew 28, verse, or excuse me, Matthew 11, verse 28. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take a my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest for your souls. I had the good pleasure to call a dear friend of mine, Frank C., uh, Friday night past, um, and I was talking with him about this verse. And Frank uh, was a fellow seminarian with Phil at Dallas, and he said, well, you know, uh, that word rest in the Hebrew, it's in the imperfect tense. What does that mean? <laughs> well, there's only two tenses in Hebrew, completed and incomplete, perfect and imperfect. Rest here is in the imperfect tense, meaning it's not a one-time completed act. You will rest and you will keep on resting. That's the point. <laughs> Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you, Frank. That's, that was marvelous. Well, he said, then the next promise, too, is in the imperfect. You will stand. You will rest and keep on resting. And at the end of the days, you will stand and keep on standing. So it's not as we think linearly. You know, you rest for a period of time, and then the rest stops, and then you stand. Okay? The idea is you will rest and that rest goes on eternally. And at some point you will stand and both continue on into eternity. Well, you shall stand. Uh, the main idea here is resurrection. I think that's the way it's captured in the New American Standard Version and the NIV. You will rise again. But I really like the word stand because it's more suggestive than just rising again. That word stand can have a, a multitude of meanings that I think all are, are helpful here. Standing, you will escape judgment. Isn't that what we uh, learned in the call to worship, Psalm 1? The faithful man and woman uh, will stand in the day of judgment. The wicked will not stand. They will be swept away and perish. Stand, the word has the idea of a servant standing before the one that you are serving. For example, standing in the presence of a king. In 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 28, King David calls for Bathsheba, and it says, So she came into the king's presence and stood before the king. In Esther chapter 8, verses 4 to 5, when the king held out the golden scepter to Esther, you remember that scene? It says that Esther rose and stood before the king. Remarkably close words, rose and stood to our rise and stand before a king. Uh, you can also look at Daniel chapter 1, verse 5. Uh, Again, this is at early on, his uh, affairs in Babylon. Verse 5, the king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate. 
and the wine that he drank, they were to be educated for three years, parenthesis, in the ways of Babylon. And at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. So Daniel had stood before earthly kings most of his life, but in the resurrection, he will stand before one king, Jesus Christ, and he will stand forever. Uh, You might mark this. You don't need to turn there. Just listen. Luke 21, verse 36. Jesus said, But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have the strength to escape all these things which are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Where? Where will you stand? In your allotted place. I think we should connect that back to um, the promised land. In Numbers 33, verses 53 to 54, Uh, You shall take possession of the land and settle in it, for I have given the land to you to possess it. You will inherit the land by lot, according to your clan. So as Israel moved into the land, it was divided and portioned out by lot. Every Israelite had his allotted place in the land. And what's the significance of that for um, Daniel? Where did he die? In the land? No. He died in Babylon. But what was the promise? He had an inheritance in the land. And the Lord will return him to his inheritance in the promised land. Really, the paradise of God. Because all that looked back to return to the garden. That is where we will be too. A believer, no matter where you die, the Lord will take you, body and soul, to the paradise of God. And there you will be with the Lord forever. When? When will this be? The answer is at the end of the days. It's what Paul calls the day of Christ. Philippians chapter 1, I am certain of this, he said, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion When? At the day of Christ. Correlates to Daniel's at the end of the days. If you're a believer, united to Christ, that is your future certainty, your reward. If you're not united to Christ by faith, you will have no rest You will not stand in the day of judgment. If that's your desire, continue the path you're walking. But there's a future certainty for you too, and that is you will not stand, but you'll be swept away. But if your desire is to Enjoy that future reward promised to Daniel and to all believers. What must you do? Well, I won't make it any more difficult than what Paul said to the Philippian jailer when he asked, what must I do 
to be saved. And he said, believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That's the answer. Well, for me, this uh, last verse of Daniel has become a great encouragement. I can wake up on any given morning not knowing the outcome of certain things, but I can remind myself of these words. Go your way till the end, and you will rest and you will stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. And it seems the older I get, the more those words resonate with me. I think they resonated with Daniel. I think they were just the right words that he needed to hear. I think he was ready for rest to come. If you're young, you might not particularly relish the coming of that eternal rest. You want and perhaps feel a desire to stay here longer. Maybe because you're a young married couple and you want more time to love your spouse. Maybe you're a parent with young children and you want more time to love them and to nurture them in the faith. I get that. I still <laughs> desire those things too. More time to love my wife, more time to love my children, more time to be with you. But I think at some point, Christians become overwhelmingly ready to be home with the Lord and to rest. I get that <laughs> from Ron Stromberg. I've heard him say, I am ready. I'm ready. Why is that, Ron? I think he'd tell you because most of everything I have loved in this life is already there. His wife, Leslie. And just with time and age and infirmities, I think he's ready, overwhelmingly ready to rest. Paul is a good example of this in his letter to the Philippians. He said, I'm, I, I want to be with the Lord, but I also know it's good for me to continue with you and convinced of this. I'm pretty certain I'll continue on for a while to be with you. Oh, he loved the Philippians. You read his letter to them. It's just such a great letter of warmth and love. He loved them dearly, and he wanted to be with them longer to encourage them in the faith. But at some point, he became overwhelmingly ready to be home at rest. You remember his last letter to Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 4. I am now ready to be poured out as an offering. And the time of my departure is here. He says, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness with the Lord, the righteous judge. He will award me on that day, and not only me, but also those who have loved his appearing. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So what do we say to all of this? 
And again, I go back to Sinclair Ferguson. I find him very helpful. He says the preview is enough. The preview of the end. Read Revelation 22 and the preview of the return to the eternal garden and paradise of God. He says we don't need all the details. Our primary task is to live now for the glory of God, live for his kingdom, recognize his reign now, and be obedient now. Fulfill your responsibilities now. And then rest will come. And you will stand in your allotted place at the end of the day. So what do we do? Like Daniel, like Abraham, we go our way till the end. And we don't go alone, do we? Jesus says, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. That's enough. That's enough. So let us go on together to the end and be faithful in Christ's name. Amen.